Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante. And I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insights straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions, regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted in a given podcast episode You should listen to all of them, as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.com collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now we continue with Asma Malik and part two of her two-part episode regarding Syracuse University. Enjoy. Can you talk about students aspiring to play sports in college? What does the college admissions process look like for them? And what advice would you give students and parents related to uh, the athletics recruitment process? Obviously, I know that Syracuse is a D1 school, so probably difficult to play, you know, for the orange. But uh, what does the process look like, please? Sure. So um, I think the NCAA website has a lot of really good resources in terms of timeline and what students should be focusing on. So there, if you want to play for a D1 um, school, there's some academic eligibility that you need to hit in terms of classes you've taken and GPA needs to be there. But um, to kind of start that conversation with our coaches, um, you know, it's, it's tricky because it's all about timing. There, you know, our coach can't talk to you in like ninth and 10th grade, but they can start engaging with you in 11th. But technically, like, they're already building their roster for years, right? So um, my advice to students is, you know, you, you have to register with the NCAA. So you do that. Um, and then start putting intro emails together. So maybe it's your stats. Maybe it's a short clip of playing, any awards you received. Um, just getting on their radar, right? You can send it to the the coach. Coaches' informations are always very uh, visible on the website. So if you just go to Syracuse Athletics and pick the sport you want, you'll see the entire roster there of <laughs> players and and coaches and um, where you can contact them. And you can send it to them. I tell them you can send it in ninth. You can send it in tenth. They might not be able to respond to you at that point. But don't underestimate, you know, that that intro email can do for you. And if you get on their radar, once um, you are in 11th grade, they can start reaching out to you. Um, And, you know, there's there's a lot that you can do on your end to make sure that you're taking the right steps 
so you can play. So making sure you're taking the right classes. So this is where working with your guidance counselor is important, right? If you know D1 is your end goal and that's what you need to do, you need to make sure that those sequence of classes are good. Make sure you do well in those classes. Start the introduction um, uh, to the schools that are on your roster. Work with your coaches. You know, they have a lot of experience. There's a lot of amazing resources out there um, just to kind of explore on your own. And then if they're interested, they're going to reach out. They're going to find a way to, to find <laughs> you, to see you play or to bring you on campus. And then, you know, that's that process is between you and them. When it comes to the admissions process, every college is different. But at SU, we have a, a small team of people in our office that are just dedicated to reading applications for athletes. And it's not that their academic standards are any different. Students still need to be admissible um, to our programs, uh, even if they're coming in to, to play uh, for one of our teams. But there's that communication that has to take place with the coach, right? There's money involved, right? If you're a D1 school, you can give students money to, um, to play there and to attend the institution. So there's a conversation that has to happen for that. Um, and then they'll kind of be the point person for the teams and then those athletes. So that's just an internal process that would happen. Um, you know, if you are, are being recruited and signed on, you know, many times you are told in advance that, you know, you're going to be admitted, this is what's gonna look like. And then, you know, you make the decision based on what your offerings are there. And you could co get committed to a school fairly early on in that process. Um, I just say, be careful because I always have those nightmare stories every single year. They're like, well, the coach was really excited and said, like, you know, I have a really good shot and admissions. And it's like no one can predict the application pool that year. Right. So based on stats of last year, yes, you might be completely admissible. But there's so many different factors that go into play. It's the, the number of students applying the type of students applying, the institutional priorities, which I think we don't talk about enough. Like every college has their own list of priorities that they have to hit. And sometimes that list changes. And then that changes the type of student I have to admit. So, um, you know, nothing is final until it is in writing and it's from the admissions office. But <laughs> it's... Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do to just start that process early and just open communication is really important. And you can always find out who's the athletic like liaison in the ad admissions office. You can connect with them, too. Um, so I think it, there's a lot of really good ways to, to just make sure that you make this as seamless as possible. Again, tremendous insight, tremendous advice. Start the process early. Don't be bashful to reach out. The coach may not be able to reach out to you until you're in 11th grade, depending on the sports. And But also registering with the NCAA if you're serious about playing Division I or, or at any level, regardless of whatever college you're applying to. Those are great pieces of advice. So how about on-site interviews with students? Do you conduct them? If so, what advice would you give students preparing for an interview? Um, so at Syracuse, they're completely optional. Like I said, over 40,000 applications. There is only like 20 <laughs> of us in the office, so we cannot interview every single applicant, even though I wish I could. Um, it's 
you know, because of the pandemic, we've just been completely virtual with interviews. And I think that's probably going to be here to stay because we can do a lot more interviews than having them done in person. But, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, you students can start interviewing the summer before senior year. So you don't have to wait till classes start senior year to do that. This is one thing, you know, along with your essay, these are two things that you can do the senior, uh, the summer before senior year. Um, and the, the one thing you need to think about when you're interviewing is find out if that interview is informative or evaluative. So the difference is um, informative is just you can ask questions, they'll ask questions, they might not be like noting anything that you discuss. And then evaluative is yeah, they're going to be taking notes. They're going to be paying attention to how you're responding, and it can play a role in the admissions off uh, admissions decision. So, um, you know, many colleges, when you go to sign up for an interview online, will give you that information up front. They'll tell you what the timeline, maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's 30 minutes, and who it might be with. Um, at Syracuse, it's mostly with uh, admissions reps. Um, and maybe current students or some of our interns that are also current grad students. So, um, you know, it just depends on the time you sign up and who's available, but we'll, no one is better to interview with. You know, we're all interviewing because we can and we're all asking kind of the same questions to, to get at the same things. A couple of things that you can do to prepare for the interview research um yeah <laughs> there's always like the college is going to ask why are you interested in Syracuse or why are you interested in University of Miami or whatever school you're looking at um and it's not just oh yeah I just saw on your website and it was pretty cool and no like take it a step further maybe it's an academic program maybe you just had a visit and the visit sparked your interest and you could really see yourself there maybe it's internship opportunity it's faculty it's research there's so much. And when you're genuinely doing research about that institution, this list will naturally, you know, uh, be put together. So make sure you have some talking points ready for that. And, you know, this is also an opportunity for you to shed light on something in your application that maybe you can't do. Um, so maybe it's a dip in grades. Uh, maybe it's just challenges that you had with, you know, being virtual or being hybrid. Um, you know, maybe what your, your future aspirations are and your goals are. And, um, you know, just give us information that helps us understand your personality and who you are as a person. And I promise you, the, we're all nice people and, you know, we're very easy to talk to. And um, the conversation will naturally start to flow. But I also understand, like, students are nervous. And it's okay. Some students will outright tell me. I always tell them, like, you know, don't be nervous. I'm not asking trick questions. They're like, I'm so nervous. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> like, just be honest because sometimes that might play into the way the conversation goes. If you're so nervous and you're second-guessing yourself and you're, you're just not being as thorough with your responses, we understand. Like, once again, you are 17, 18 years old. I'm not going to expect you to conduct yourself as like you know a 25 year old that would be interviewing for a job in my office right but um just be just be honest and um be genuine i promise you it's gonna be easier that way and it's okay to take notes you can tell them i'm just gonna jot some things down 
and please have at least one question ready um, <laughs> to, to ask because I'll have a series of questions and students answer and then I'm like, so do you have any questions for me? Uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, what? You just take the time to interview with me. You have nothing. There's nothing on your mind that Google couldn't help you find. And I always tell students, I do like a lot of interview workshops um, at some schools. And I tell them, you can always just flip it. Because I know sometimes questions get answered during conversation. But be like, so tell me, what do you like about your institution? Or what would you like to change about your institution? Or how did you get to this job, right? Just something to show that you are able to engage in conversation that is not just one-sided. Because... At the end of the day, this interview will help me determine how you might interact in our classroom. And since we have small classroom sizes, I need to see that you can sustain that conversation in this one-on-one -on -one setting. And um, like I said, it doesn't have to be perfection, but it, it is really good to see when a student is prepared. And honestly, it's okay. Maybe you are that person that just doesn't do well with talking to strangers one-on-one -on -one that you just don't know. That's okay. No worries. Just don't do the interview. And, um, you know, re relay all the information you want us to know about you through the application, and that's okay. Students that don't interview are not put at a disadvantage in the process because we know that we have such limited capacity, right, to interview. Um, it's just, we just can't, and we can't accommodate everyone, so that's okay. But if you're really interested in the school, they're kind of on your top five list, they do offer interviews, you feel comfortable doing it, um, I would recommend it. You know, it's a great way to demonstrate interest, and I know we didn't touch upon that a little bit, but just like how you engage, how often you engage with the college, sometimes is taken into account when, you, when we read a file. So interviewing is one way to like demonstrate that interest. And there's a lot of other ways, um, but it's it's a great opportunity to have that personal approach. And a lot of times students walk away, they're like, oh, this wasn't as bad. And I was like, yeah, it's not it's not supposed to be <laughs> difficult. Um, and right, it's not where, supposed to be bad. <laughs> no, it's supposed to be a good conversation. You're supposed to walk out of this conversation with something, you know, whether it's solidifying your decision to apply to this school or having your questions answered that maybe you couldn't find online. And then, you know, at the same time, just telling me information that I'm not going to get from the, or from the application or just kind of giving me more information to go off of. And they're very simple questions. You know, talk about your extracurriculars. Maybe what, what is one thing that you could have changed um, if you could do high school all over again? What did you learn about yourself? during the most challenging course you took in high school. You know, it's simple things that you should be able to respond to regardless if you've had some um, time to reflect on, on your high school experience. I hope the students are writing those questions down <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it really reminds me of the essay. Again, the transcript, teacher letters of recommendations, those are things that get sent in. But in the essay, in the interview, if you have one, that's really, that's really the opportunity where you could show off your personality. And I, and I like what you said at the end, because if you have an interview, it's you to school looking at the potential candidate, but it's also very important for the student to get a feel to see if this is the right fit for them. So it's a, it's, it's a fascinating process. And you know again, I appreciate this uh, awesome conversation. 
My next question is around early decision. There's a, there's a feeling that if you go ED, that you have an advantage. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. How does it work at Syracuse University? So I think this is one thing where context is important. At the end of the day, academic standards are not going to change for any institution, right? We still need to admit students that are going to thrive in our classroom, whether they come in through early decision or they come in through regular decision. I will say, think about a couple of things. Number one, is it easier because they're more flexible with the academics or is it easier just because you're competing with the smaller group of students? And it's always going to be you are competing with the smaller group of students. Um, to kind of give you some information and background, with SU, we maybe have a little more than 1,100 or 1,200 um, applications for early decision. Like I said in the beginning of the uh, conversation, we bring in about 30, a little more than 3,600 students uh, for the first year. So if I have, you know, 1,200 applications for a full class of 3,650, whatever the number is, um, there, there are a lot more seats available, right? And students that are obviously willing to say, like, if you admit me, I'm going to enroll. Every college likes that, right? Because at the end of the day, we still have to meet certain numbers and we have to meet certain guidelines and institutional priorities. So the student that applies and is willing to make that commitment is obviously going to be more attractive to that college. And um, if you're in the middle 50% of academics, great. You know, you're, you're an easy admit. But... Um, Sometimes students that might be right on the cusp, right? They're, maybe they're a borderline applicant for us. And we see the academic potential there. They just maybe had a rough high school start or, you know, the middle was a little tough with the pandemic, whatever it may be. Or, you know, they're falling short in certain areas, but we feel like they could still thrive uh, in our community. We might be more inclined to admit because they're willing to make that commitment, right? Um, so and you also have to think about there is a certain percentage of students that are going to be admitted and enrolled through early decision. Every college takes that into account because that will help us determine how many seats we have to fill through regular decision. So for Syracuse, it's a, it's a smaller pool that's applying. You know, in the grand scheme of things, if you look at our regular decision pool, it's like over 38,000 students applying for fewer seats because a certain percentage is already allocated for early decision students. So because we have so many students applying, you know, so many options, then naturally the admissions process becomes more competitive because we have more apps in the, you know, in the pool to work with versus in ED, it's a smaller pool and it's a full set of uh, seats that we have. So always ha you have to understand that there is that numbers behind um, the ED or early action at Syracuse doesn't have early action, but there are schools that do offer that and how that might come into play in terms of your competitiveness in the application pool. So academic standards are not going to change. They might be able to be a little bit flexible um, on certain things, and, uh, but other things, you know, I have every year. I deny students for early decision, even though I know they're willing to make that commitment and 
you know, they talk about us being their number one and they've been in communication with me. But like if I don't feel like they're going to thrive in our academic environment, it's just not the right space for them. And, um, you know, it's also the other thing you have to think about when it comes to early decision is that financial component. You know, you're not going to be able to compare financial aid packages from many other institutions unless you apply early action at other schools. You can only apply early decision to one school. And we give you a, a decision within six weeks. So how are you going to know what other schools are offering and how, um, what's going to be out there? So it's a huge commitment, you know, to go down that ED route. But, you know, I always tell students, you got to read the fine print. There's this contract you sign, and the contract does say if you are admitted and for some reason we cannot give you a financial aid package that is conducive for your family, you can be released from there. But I don't want students to try to like game the system because that's not the way it works as we can see financial aid documentations, right? That's the FAFSA, the CSS profile. I get all that. Um, and not, not me personally, the financial aid office gets all of that. So we use that information to determine a financial aid package. So if you're coming back to me and you're saying like, hey, this doesn't work. And I'm like, mm, uh, your your tax documents indicate otherwise. <laughs> um, you know, the, that's going to be a conversation. It's not that easy to get out right. of. So it is a huge commitment. You know, parents have that conversation about finances early on with your child. Um, so you could set realistic expectations, especially if you're going to be applying uh, early decision. It's not by gaming the system. Like, it's you're nothing's... You're not going to get anything out of that. Um, it's just finding the right school for you. Not finding the right school, period, because every school has amazing offerings and you can thrive at multiple colleges and be successful. But it's finding the right school for you and the right fit for you. That, that's awesome. And I really appreciate the insight in terms of the overall process. I know the question was about going early decision, but just in terms of the no-show factor, you know, when you go into the regular application pool, and I know that it's in the tens of thousands for Syracuse, but I could imagine that there's just a formula where you say, okay, we admit X amount, and, you know, we know that 40%, 50%, whatever the number is, are actually going to consider coming. And and then on top of that, every year it's different. The pool is different. So mm -hmm. so the statistics change, the data changes. So it's just, it's it's a fascinating process. And to hear you uh, talk about it is just so interesting. So again, thank you for your insight. Let's shift, let's shift gears here for a second. And let me ask you about um, the teacher letter of recommendations. How many do you ask for? Should they submit supplemental recommendations? And last part of that question, is there an example that you could share that was just phenomenal? Um, so when it comes to teacher's letter recommendation, we require two. Um, we prefer that they be core subject teachers. Um, while we understand the value in the arts and music and these elective courses, uh, we are a school that's kind of trying to focus on the core subjects because that is usually a good indication of how they would do in college classes. Um, but at the same time, like I said, it's a humanistic process and we understand that these past years have been a little challenging to connect with your teachers like you normally would. 
So maybe the teacher that you connected with is, you know, the last one was like a ninth or 10th grade teacher, and it might not be in a core subject. And you get one teacher letter recommendation that's from a core subject and one is non-core subject, we will be flexible. Um, uh, but just know that it's highly recommended to get the core subject teachers. And then you have the guidance counselor letter recommendations, which are my favorite because it's it's like all encompassing. It just covers everything. It covers academics. It covers, it covers personal fit. It, it covers college potential, and um, it's they're really great. So those are the three that we need when it comes to the letters of recommendation. You know what I try to take away from it is like more context behind that grade that you got on your transcript. You know, it's great to see that you got an A minus or an A, sometimes the best letter of recommendations are from the classes where students get a B or a B plus because that teacher can really speak to the student's ability to tackle a difficult situation. You know, maybe you didn't just, you didn't do well in that class, but you worked so hard and you sought so many resources that it, it really left a very positive impression for the teacher. And they have a lot more to talk about in that letter than just saying, yeah, a student did great. They thrive in pre-calculus. They got an A in my class and uh, that's it. Um, <laughs> but other things I'm looking for, how do you work with your peers? You know, if you're in a group setting, do you take that leadership role? And if you don't, maybe you're that quiet organizer and that's your strength. You know, how you interact in that classroom setting is important. And a lot of students are like, yeah, but then I was virtual. But I was like, yeah. How you engage in that virtual classroom is also important. Were you the kid with the camera was always off? You never asked the questions. Teacher's <laughs> constantly picking on you and you're, you're not responding. Or were you the one that made the extra effort to log in early, right? To be engaged the entire time. To ask questions later on. To be respectful of your peers' opinions, right? So that interaction is really important that a teacher can give us. Um, but... Also, we want to see how you build connections with your teachers, right? With adults, how do you interact with um, with these individuals is important because you're very likely going to have the same style in college. So those are certain things that we're really taking away. And you know, some letters of recommendations are I'm like it's two pages long, and I'm like. Do you know I have less than ten minutes to read this file? I have another <laughs> forty-one thousand applications that you know to go through with my peers. Um, so you know, my advice when it comes to letters of recommendations: if you can give your teachers some information to work with, then they can kind of structure the letter in a way that's going to be helpful. So, for example, if you know you are applying to um, a mathematics program, right? Letting them know that you're applying to, you know, applied mathematics major in college. Okay, they can then tailor the examples that they put in that letter of recommendation that's more in line with that, right? Or maybe there's certain skills that you have that you just want them to be aware of. You could tell them that. Um, you know, sometimes teachers will write about extracurricular activity lists too, but it's like, I'm getting that already from somewhere else. And they really can't speak to it um, in, in such an in-depth manner. Sometimes they can, because sometimes teachers also serve as coaches and they serve as um, advisors. 
And that's great if they do and they can give us that different perspective. But like you don't really need to have them go over that. Your counselors will do it. You will write about it in the letter. I mean, in your list of extracurriculars. So really kind of focus on those aspects that I'm not going to get um, when I look at the transcript. Right. So it's just your level of engagement, how you work with your peers, how well do you do with difficult material um, and how do you seek out resources if you are struggling in a little bit. Um, so I think sometimes those are the best letters that could just give me an example of how the student did in the classroom or work with their peers. I'm always highlighting that. And then when I'm doing my write-up and I'm like, letter of recommendation indicates student does very well in a group setting, you know, works well (laughs) with peers, is a natural leader, um, or maybe they're quiet, but they're, they're, uh, some examples... Uh, teachers give me it's like the student is quiet but they are so supportive of their peers that it's um that level of encouragement that they can give their peers is amazing i'm like oh my god yes we want that kid in our classroom like that positive energy is so important and how you handle yourself in that setting your level of maturity is also going to come through that letter of recommendation And maybe students shouldn't be shy to ask teachers to write about such things, right? Because if you receive a letter where a teacher is basically reiterating what's on the activity sheet, it's really pointless and it's a waste of letter. So students, you know, when you're talking to your teachers, like you said, if you're going to be a math major, you know, maybe there's something that could be highlighted regarding that. If If you're quiet, but you're so supportive of your peers... Uh, or if you're a natural leader in the class, you know, if you're the kind of kid that walks into the room and lights it up, <laughs> if the teacher could articulate that in a letter so that, again, it, it goes back to your personality. I, I think that's, you know, tremendous advice, again, as opposed to just reiterating what's on the activity sheet. So thank you for that. And, you know, my next question, I guess, is about college visits, right? Whether virtual or in person. Is that something that you guys in admissions actually track and does it make a difference, you know, in terms of the application process? So this is going to be different for every college. You know, at SU, we do track um, when students sign up for a virtual session, um, an in-person visit or a mock class. Um, when you email me, <laughs> like, you know, we can see <laughs> all that. Um, we have very sophisticated systems that even when we send you an email, I can tell if you opened it. I can tell how long you opened it for, how many clicks you you had in that email. Like it's very easy to for us to see that. Um, at uh, Syracuse University, I would say when it comes to the admissions process, the level of engagement that you've had, like demonstrated interest. You know, I spoke about that a little bit ago. Um, it doesn't always play a huge role in the admission, like the initial admissions decision round, but students that maybe get waitlisted and we have very few seats and then we're looking to see which students to take off the, li- the waitlist and offer them admissions. The students that have engaged with us the most, probably we have a higher chance of enrolling and every college wants that. You know, they want to guarantee that that student's going to come to their school. and that level of engagement might play a big role in that process at that time. So every college is going to use it differently. At SU, yes, we are tracking everything. So when I do a virtual high school visit or an in-person visit and I ask you to 
scan that QR code and fill out that annoying form or I give you that long contact card <laughs> back in the days when we did in-person college fairs, those forms you would fill out. That's all of us trying to gather the information so we can know exactly where we met you at one point. Um, so it's important that you register for events in advance so we have that information to engage with you, but also just we're, we're tracking everything. And engagement can happen well before 11th or 12th grade. You know, I have some students that they know SU is their number one, they're in ninth grade, they're already signing up for things and that's okay. Like it, the more research you do, the more exploration you have, the more information you're gonna have to make a well-informed decision, right? So um, I don't want students to feel like, oh my God, I need to have like 13 different points of demonstrated interest. No, there's no special formula. And honestly, as you research institutions, that demonstrated interest will naturally happen. You're going to go to their website. You're gonna click through, sign up for events. You're going to want to maybe sign up for an interview. You're gonna, maybe there's like a opportunity to talk to a current student. You'll do that. You're going to go out of your way to make time for this because you're genuinely interested. The school that you're just kind of putting on your list or the heck of putting on the list, you know, the quality of the application you're going to produce there and the level of engagement is going to be lower naturally. So we can tell um, maybe how serious you are about the school. And I think, you know, the one good thing out of this pandemic in college admissions, with obviously the test optional, but... Um, it's also that we have just so many more resources available for students. So there's, you know, a lot of opportunities for you to start the research, the research process for a college way before you even step foot on our campus, right? And I tell, I encourage students, you should do some of those virtual sessions before you step foot on campus because you will already have a certain understanding. So when you are there, you are going to look at it in a very different lens because you know the very basics, right? You're gonna look at the student interaction. You're going to see how the liberal arts core curriculum classes work at this X, Y, and Z college within the university because you understand what the curriculum is at SU instead of having to learn it on the spot and then be like, all right, how are they engaging with each other? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I tell students like, engagement is for you. Yes, colleges love, to you know, have students reach out and tell them, you're great, you're amazing, I would love to come here. But at the end of the day, it is for you to find the right place. And the only way you could do that is researching in different um, areas of the college. So it's faculty, it's student engagement, academic resources, career development, retention. Um, how do you support students that maybe financially have changes in their household income second year, right? Like really digging deeper about the community and the resources is going to help you make the best decision. Tremendous advice again. And you know, one of the main points of this podcast is really to give this kind of insight to students uh, and of course their parents. So students, she just gave some tremendous advice there. If you receive an email from an admissions rep, make sure you open it, make sure you read it, Make sure you engage, go into a mock classroom if the college that you're interested in offers it. And, you know, these are the little things that you can do even as early as ninth grade, right? You don't have to wait till 11th grade to say, oh, okay, where am I going to apply to now? 
Uh, but these are, you know, many things that you can do to make your candidacy for admissions possible. I, I really appreciate it, and I hope uh, everyone else out there does as well. And yep. so in closing, I guess I'll ask my last question. What are the three top pieces of advice or recommendations you would give students and their parents getting ready to apply to college? So number one, parents, I know we take care of our children all, all their lives, for a majority of our life too, right? And it's sometimes hard to take a step back and let the child take control of the process, especially, you know, something as important of where they're going to go to college for the next two or four or, you know, eight years if they decide to go for a professional degree. Um, but it's really important to, to let them own this process. And you're really just going to set them up for success by teaching them independency now. Um, and they're just going to thrive in that environment when they get to college uh, a lot better. So it doesn't mean that you're not involved. I think you just need to pick moments where you step in um, or you give your opinions. Let them formulate their opinions. You know, I, I see it all the time when uh, families come to campus and they're on a tour and the parents are like constantly like making comments. I'm like, let the kid process this, you know, like <laughs> let them make their own opinion. And like, you know, everyone should be making a list because I promise you everything is going to get blurred. But during your tour, you know, students, like, just on your phone, you know, on the notes section, something you like, something you didn't like, um, you get in the car, parents, families, let your child start that conversation, right? see where their head is at with that. And then you can give them your perspective because obviously you have life experiences that they don't. So it's going to be helpful for them to hear, but at the same time, it's better for them to take charge of that. So, you know, more independency for them is better. And I understand, I, I get the phone calls during the day. They're like, my child is at school right now. So they can't call and like, well, we are also here till 5 p.m. So, and I know they have a cell phone, so you can always, you know, they can, they can call. But there are certain things that, you know, especially when it comes to finances, the parents are going to be the ones that are in communication with us, and that's okay. But, you know, on the topic of finances, please start this conversation early. Um, set realistic expectations for students, whether it's, you know, whatever college you decide to enroll. You cover two years of tuition. I cover two years. You know, I have some families that say that. Like, I will do first and second year. So you have to get whatever scholarships you get. And if you need to take out student loans for the next two years to make this happen, then you do so, right? Every family's ability to afford college is going to be different. For other families, it's sometimes you can go to a private school if they're coming X percentage more than like a state school, right? It's whatever it is, you have to start that conversation early. And just because you might be fronting the bill doesn't mean that the student does not have responsibility financially. Um, you know, they still need to do well in classes. They still need to take full-time classes to make sure they keep that scholarship, that grant, you know, that loan status. Um, so they're still involved in this process. And you're only going to help them by you know, for them to like understand how finances work because they're going to need this it's a life skill that you're going to need um 
but also it just makes the conversation and stress a little bit more manageable when students have a realistic understanding. And doesn't mean that you eliminate schools that might have a high sticker price um, because there's so many schools that will have tuition discounts and depending on how strong you are as a student, you'll get scholarships if you have need um, based on your, your financial documentation. You can get grants for that. So you're never going to pay that full sticker price. And you don't know how much that's going to be unless you apply because the application pool is different every year. And, you know, as John mentioned, like things are constantly shifting year to year. So um, I won't know what that package is going to look like until um, you actually apply that year. But having realistic expectations that beforehand will allow the student to be like, okay, this is my top choice, but they are, you know, they are 10,000 more than where my family needs to be. And this is where advocacy comes into play, right? Pick up the phone, call your admissions rep, email your admissions rep. Thank you for the admission offer, but this does not work for my family. You know, I need X amount to make this happen. It doesn't hurt to ask, right? And what's the worst? I say, sorry, I don't have more money to give you. At least you have, you still have the admission offer, you still have the financial aid packages, and you could still compare, right? And then you can make the best possible decision for you and your family. Um, other times, sometimes in colleges have a couple of thousand to spare. And, you know, when you have an admission offer from a school, the ball is in your court, right? Now the conversation is different. Before you wanted us, and now we want you, right? So we're going to try our best to make sure that we enroll the student because we don't want to have to make more offers. So advocacy is really important, but starting that conversation financial, that financial conversation is important. And my last piece of advice is, and I know this is really hard for a 17, 18 year old student coming out of high school. Trust me, I taught high school students, I know. Um, you have this vision that the only way you are going to be successful is go to this specific college and study this specific thing or have this your straight path to uh, success. And it's not going to happen like that. And that's okay. College is really a great time for you to explore. Like you can take classes that you've never had access to in high school. And that will really open up doors and your eyes to different career paths. And like, trust me, four years from now, there's probably, you know, some type of industry that we don't know about right now, but we're going to need in four years. And college is a really great place to help you um, develop the skills that you need to thrive in that environment. And, um, you know, you don't have to look at schools that like majority of the students at your high school are applying to. I think sometimes, especially in the suburbs, you kind of get stuck on those like top 30 because that's where everyone applies. But, you know, college is really what you make of it. You can go to an Ivy League institution, but not pay attention in class, not engage with faculty, not take advantage of the resource they have, and you're not going to be successful. Just because you have that degree does not equal success. Um, but you can go to a state school and amazing state SUNY options out there. But if you engage on every single level, you take advantage of everything that they have to offer, I promise you, your level of success is going to be higher. Because at the end of the day, you have more control in this process than you think you do. So um, it's okay. Keep your options open. 
keep your mind open, be flexible, because um, it's going to help you in kind of developing your path. And I promise you, I always talk to students after they graduate, they're like, you know, when I spoke to you five years ago when I was in high school, I never <laughs> thought that I would change my major twice and I would have this amazing internship opportunity. <laughs> and here I am in something that I didn't even know existed and I'm loving life and I love the, the, the journey I had to get there. So I know it's really hard as a young teenager to, to see that in the long run, um, but you're going to do great uh, as long as you put your best foot forward in everything that you do. Asma, I cannot thank you enough. It's been a true honor and a pleasure listening to you, walking us through the entire process. I am so glad we had this time together, as I know that it is going to be a tremendous resource for so many students and their parents. I hope so. Even though you said parents, you know, you know, <laughs> parents let the kids kind of advocate for themselves. But yes, we love the parents. We love the students. And that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Good luck, everyone. And if you ever need any help, you can just go on the admissions website at Syracuse University. I'm more than happy to, to answer your questions by email. Thank you again, Asma. Truly appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.